What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Lazarus of Bethany is ill. Now we are not told the prognosis, but we do know that Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, discerned that illness was serious enough to send message to Jesus. Now Jesus' ministry was greatly growing and works of his miracles, words of his miracles were known throughout the land. So it was not common for someone to send petition to Jesus. For he had performed miracles such as turning water into wine. He had healed the official son. He had uh, gave the, made the lame walk. And during his crusade, he fed over 5,000. Not to mention, he walked on water. And he gave sight to one who was blind at birth. But John wants us to know that this particular request is very much different. You see, those that he healed, those that he delivered, those that he for had forgiven were all strangers. But John goes to great lengths to emphasize that Jesus loved this family, that this was not an ordinary family, that they had a special place in Jesus' heart. You see, Jesus, Mary and Mark, the sisters, sent message saying, the one whom you love is ill. Now the word love here is phileos, which is the love of a friend. Your friend is ill. And in case we thought that this was some type of star-crazed, stalking on Facebook type of love, then John also tells us that Jesus himself loved Mary and Lazarus and their sister and their brother. The word love there, agape, unconditional, welcoming type love. So this was no ordinary request. This was a request of a friend. And when Jesus hears the, hears the message, his response is quite promising. He said, this illness would not end in death. But then he stays two more days. Now, I'm not sure about you and your friends, and, and I have quite a bit of friends, and actually my best friend, Jerry Stoltz, and I have been friends for over 25 years, and, and I know that if I call my friend, that he's coming. You see, a friend is one who is honest with others, one who is loyal, one who is faithful, one who is non-judgmental, one who rejoices 
in times of celebration, one who laments in times of mourning, one who would be there in times of trouble. But Jesus remains there two more days. Now, we're not told, but if I can use my heavily imagination, I can only imagine when the messenger arrived back to Bethany, the sight of that house. As the messenger came in, Lazarus was already dead, but to hear the words, this illness would not lead to death. And here we go, day one, there's no restoration Tick, tock. Day two, their brother is still dead. Tick, tock. And I can imagine the sisters pacing and crying and grieving, watching the day the the sun fall. And here's the third day. And still, Their brother Lazarus is dead. Now, the tradition, the Jewish tradition holds that a person's spirit will hang around their body for three days. So there was still hope. But after three days, the spirit will leave the body and the body will begin to decay. So maybe he will come by the third day. Maybe he would raise Lazarus from the dead like others before him. But no one in the Bible has ever raised anyone after the third day. Tick. Talk. And as the night settles and day breaks, it's the fourth day. And Jesus arrives near the village and Martha catch wind of him coming. And she runs out to meet him. And she said to him the same words that Mary would later echo, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, Lazarus, would not have died. Now I'm sure if we're honest, we all have experienced a Lord, if you have been there, moment. It is the moment when you realize that no matter how close you are to Christ, that we are not immune to the perils of life. It is that very moment that we are facing our tomb or either in our tomb. It is the moment that one commentator said, it is a place where you find yourself in painful reality, a living in the gap between the promises of God and the realization of those promises. It isn't a moment that we think of 
the time you said, I do. To death do us part. And yet that marriage ended in divorce. Or you agreed to serve your country and you were deported out for war. But no one told you that when you came back, that you will remember the terrors and PTSD will consume you. Maybe you have built a business, laying the foundation for your family to leave a legacy for your family and your company is built up and then the market crashed and you had to close it. Or maybe it's not external, maybe it's internal. Maybe it's that very thing that you've been begging and praying for God to remove that sin that causes you to feel guilt and shame. A sin so bad that you feel like you're in that deep, dark, sinking place. Or maybe it's not about you. Maybe you grieve when you look out into the world and you see the social injustice and uh, social economic crisis and you see tragedies like those we experienced as a, as a country just this week. It is in those moments that we, if we are honest, says, Lord, if you would have been there. Maybe the situation would have changed. Maybe my marriage would have lasted. Maybe my business would have, will still be standing. Lord, if you would have been there. But Jesus doesn't scorn. He, doesn't, he does not get angry. He simply listens. Oh my, what a friend we have in Jesus. One who is faithful, one who is loyal, one who is trustworthy, one who laments during our time of weeping, one who rejoices during our time of celebration. This Jesus simply says, your brother will rise again. A promise that seems impossible. Because Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Martha's response was, I know at the end day, the he will be part of the resurrection. I will see him then. But Jesus was not talking about the then. He was talking about the now. For he said, I am the resurrection and life. And when led to the tomb, we see, we get a glimpse of the faith of a God who loves us. A God that he himself would face the tomb. That he himself would take on grief. He himself would take on pain and anguish. A God that loves us, that he would even die for us. For what greater love has one than this? 
that someone laid down his life for his friends. But a God that resurrects, a God that pulls us out of those dark places, that speak words into those dark places like a seed in the ground. As it receives water, it starts to germinate and come up to produce new life. Jesus Christ's words speaks to our dark places, offering us new life. You know, I'm reminded of a story of a man by the name of Joseph Scrivens. A story of heartaches, a story of pain, but a story of restoration and new life. For in spring of 1844, Joseph Scrivens was a young Irishman with a future filled with promise. He had completed his university degree. He was going to be an educator, and he was engaged to his childhood sweetheart. But on the day before their wedding, Scriven's fiance was going to meet him by the river. In a terrifying instance, the horse bugged and was startled, and she was tossed into the river of Russian waters and the woman who he loved had died. And when they were taking her out of the water, he could see the face of the one he loved. And that image would stick with him every time he looked throughout his country. So he moved to an area in Canada and he devoted himself to the works of Christ. He took care of the poor. He took care of the sick. He would do all the good that he could do. And while he was tutoring one of the gentlemen there, he fell in love again. And weeks before they got married, she got ill. And she died. But Joseph Scrivens found solace in Christ. And almost a year later, he penned words that would still be quoted and saying to this day, What a friend we have in Jesus. Sucks. You see, we serve a God that loves us, that calls us out of our dark places, that restores us and gives us new life. But can I share something else with you? Now, I promise you, I won't bite, but if you don't mind, just close your eyes just for a brief moment. 
And if I do bite, the, person, the first person that I bite will scream out loud and let you know. So as Jesus approaches the tomb, he says to them, move the stone back. And of course, there was some hesitation with Martha because it had been four days. But he asked, do you believe? And so they start to move the stone. And Jesus speaks. And the vibrations of his words met the dead man's body. And he rose up. And he came forth, but his hands were still bound. And his face was still covered. And then Jesus said to them, unwrap him. And as they unwrap the bandages around off his arms and legs, then they remove the cloth from over his head. Now open your eyes. As his eyes adjust, he see, he saw what you see. Look around. He saw a community. That he had a friend that loved him so much that he orchestrated not only pulling him out of his dead place and offer him new life. But he gave him a community to live life in. Let's think about this. They removed the stone, the community. They unwrapped his bandages, the community. They pulled the cloth from over his head, the community. When the sisters were, grie were grieving, it was the community that petitioned Christ on their behalf. It was the community that when they were grieving their brother, they surrounded them and cried with them. And when the community thought that Mary was going out to the tomb to grieve her brother, she was met there with the community. You see, Jesus just didn't stop. His story just didn't stop at him rising from the dead. He himself, oh, what a friend, has given us, us. We are each other's friends, loyal. Oh, you're so faithful. Oh, you're so trustworthy. Oh, you lament during times of grief. Oh, my, you, you rejoice during times of celebration. 
And Lord, thank you for you being there during times of trouble. Amen.